This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right! And lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. What's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Longhorn Blitz. Usually my man Jeff Howe will be doing the open, but Jeff Howe is out. Kind of a holiday edition of Longhorn Blitz. So me and my man Matt Butler will take you through the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour or so. We'll talk a ton of Longhorn football, ton of different topics we got to hit. Won't waste a lot of time. Let me introduce my co-host. Uh, he is our lead researcher on the show, also a fantasy football guru, uh, an extraordinaire, and that's it, a fantasy sports guru, actually. We're past just fantasy football. Fantasy sports guru uh, and extraordinaire, also our drop, ma- drop machine extraordinaire, my man Matt Butler. What's going on, brother? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, I got to tell you, we got a ton of different stuff to get into. Um, I don't even want to waste a lot of time. We got to review the recruiting class a little bit. There are coaching uh, hires to get carousel. to and coaching carousel news. We got to talk Quinn Ewers a little bit, too. Uh, so there's a ton of different things. And, I'm, of course, we always go down rabbit holes as we discuss these topics. So let's start. I think we should start with... The re- reviewing the recruiting class a little bit that'll lead us into yours, and then we'll get to the coaching mm, carousel or uh, the coaching moves that are being made. Some out of necessity for Steve Sarkeesian because Stan Drayton took the job as the head football coach at Temple, and some um, I think maybe out of necessity as well. <laughs> uh, him deciding to move on from Andre Coleman, um, and he wants to upgrade at the position, and I totally understand that too. We'll get to that. We'll also uh, jump into, I think there are a couple of other stories that are, I think, on the periphery for the Longhorns. So if we'll get to the Aggies if we can. Also get to the Sooners a little bit if we can, too. I think it may end up touching uh, those those tentacles. I was about to say, uh, you took bit. the words right off the yeah, end. There's a right? lot of tentacles up yeah, there. Yeah, it's just so many different topics, man. It's a, really is, it is a smorgasbord if you're a Longhorn fan of content. All right, let's start with the recruiting class a little bit. The Longhorns right now. And most services have them as a as a top five recruiting class. The mm-hmm. two twenty four seven sports composite has it as the number four class currently. Am I off about that? No, you are not. Because I know it, it, it and, and they're if, not done. That's why I said the already same page. And then when you combine all the transfer classes, because yours, and then you got everything. So anywhere from like four to six, you can say Texas is right there. Right, right in there. Uh, by the way, Aggies. Shout out, they do have the number one recruiting class in the country. That has to be stated because uh, that is a rival of the Longhorns. And um, If anything's more evident of the culture of what Texas and recruiting is, it's like 
Texas sucked this year. Aggies had a down year for their expectations, eight and four, in two of the top five classes nationally. That's why people say, hey, it's where you want to go coach in college football. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. People talk about, you know, uh, Texas being down, at, but yeah, Texas is down, but it's never really hurt their ability as a brand to recruit talent. Yeah. Even though been, there's been a ton of coaching turnover and there, there's a toxicity with the culture, I, we get all that and we've brought it up on the show, but it's never really hurt their ability to attract coaching talent mm-hmm. or to attract you know uh, talent in different sports, but especially in football. So uh, Sark doing a really good job. Also, it can't be understated, um, can't be overstated either, <laughs> uh, name, image, and likeness and the yes. role that it plays now. I mean, it is a game changer. So shout out to the big money donors. We brought that up last week. The horns with heart with the pancake factory. There's no doubt you have six offensive linemen in this class. You had two, I believe, but at the end of the season. Yeah, you had and two that's offensive linemen. At that point? And Texas, even though Texas had constantly been getting, say, blue chips in recruiting, hadn't necessarily got a ton of blue chip O-line recruits over the past 15 years. There's been a handful of them, but this year it shows it's pretty, pretty important. Yeah, the highest ranked recruit in the class, Kelvin Banks, uh, is a five-star offensive tackle, if not for the coaching carousel. Um, And Mario Cristobal deciding to jump ship from Oregon to Miami. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Mario Cristobal. I don't know if you uh, – Shout com- out to Manny Diaz. Yeah, yeah. A lot of odd uh, intersections between <laughs> yeah, these two. That is true, too. Shout out to Manny Diaz. If he isn't ousted there, yeah. it's the perfect timing to end up helping Texas. But also, I think the combination of the coaching carousel – by the way, a unique probably once-in-a-generation coaching carousel. We, you won't see another one like this for and – maybe, and maybe this becomes commonplace, but we hadn't seen a coaching carousel like this no. in sick – I don't know I don't know if we'd ever. No, because like like I remember thinking how big it was back whenever Texas hired Herman because at the time, you know, you had some things up in there at USC or also at LSU, LSU. and you thought yeah. about it, but you had a lot of interims and they just stuck around like, at, oh, it wasn't really the dominoes that fell. This Play time, point. dominoes really fell, and yeah. oddly, those two schools were involved, and then it brought in Notre Dame, and then you had USC. the tentacles out to yeah. Oregon, and you end up having Miami affected, so yeah, it's, it's all... You're right, it all... It all it it all connects. And all the yeah, connects. and all the all the assistants. I mean, you look at the assistants right now, like the way Tashar Choice, one of the guys that came here, exactly. he was quickly at USC, USC. but then like <laughs> yeah, the same thing that Manny Diaz did that to Temple. Great point. And he did that to Temple back yeah. whenever he had to take the job at Miami, and then now that's getting refilled, and that's where Drayton goes to you know, so like and you have odd situations. No, here. you're right. And it's it's affecting I know they're gonna bring up the Aggies randomly a lot throughout the podcast, but yeah. it's affecting the Aggies too. Yeah. They lost Elko to the coaching carousel and they just lost their offensive line coach. Yeah, yeah, lost him to USC. He, he went to USC. And I, actually they lost another guy in their personnel department. I don't really know his name, but he's also considered really really important. He went to Oregon. Yeah. With and, Dan Lanning. And so this just, isn't over. It's going to keep on it, going. It's amazing. And obviously it affected Texas too because Stan Drings ends up leaving the Tech. It makes the Tech job. be like an afterthought, but Tech, it sort of shows like where the big money people were like, Tech got out in front of this like months ago. They're like, nope, nope, we no, need to go figure this <laughs> We've talked to enough people. It's going to be unprecedented. We need to at least have our we name. We need out a lead. There. We need a lead. We need yeah. a lead. <laughs> For the first time ever. <laughs> That's a good Instead point. of like firing our chosen son and best coach. Uh, but getting back to the recruiting class, six offensive linemen in the class. Eight defensive linemen, if you count edge defenders as well, so eight D linemen and edge defenders, you're talking about 14 offensive linemen, defensive linemen, or edge defenders. Pretty obvious where the priority was for Coach Sark, for PK, 
for Bo Davis and, of course, for uh, Kyle Flood. They wanted to attack the lines of scrimmage. They know they're going to the SEC. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jeff Howe always says it. It's a line of scrimmage league. Uh, they understand to get into, to, to compete in that league, they need to be deep, deep on the lines of scrimmage. 100%. And that's uh, it, it, it's good to see at least like the, the way that Sark's going. He's being very, very proactive with this staff. At times at Texas in recent years, we've seen coaches sort of give their guys a shot from the staff and not necessarily have immediate turnover in the staff, but Texas is actually having some right now. Yeah, yeah, and I like, honestly, I, I kind of like that just because you know you're not going to make, have the perfect assemblage mm-hmm. uh, in terms of your staff and your, uh, you know, administrate your administrative pieces and all that. You're not going to make all the right choices your first time around. You're, hopefully you made most of the right choices, mm-hmm. but after you go through a season with those coaches and a lot of these guys have, this is their first time working together, uh, it, it, I think it's fair to yeah. do an overall evaluation. I think you're seeing Sark do that. Also, I think you're seeing it through the recruiting class. Recruiting classes, to me, need to make sense. Yeah. I just need to make sense out of it, right? And based on what we saw from Texas this year, this recruiting class makes a ton of sense in terms of them the girth on the line of scrimmage. And even Sark said, right, Sark said, we want big human beings on the line of scrimmage. We want Fast human beings on the perimeter. That is essentially his the identity of what his, his football team is supposed to be. He wants girth up front in the trenches, and he wants speed outside. You can see that, right? Yep. Guys he brings in, X-Man. I mean, that was the one guy he brought in last year in terms of him being a hand-picker guy, and boom. You know what I mean? that's That pretty much encapsulates what he wants on the outside at wide receiver. He wants a ton of speed. Doesn't really cover size like a Tom Herman did. Tom, And I'm not knocking that strategy. Yeah. It's just a different philosophy. Yeah, the skill set, just look at, I mean, Alabama the last few years is the prototype he's going to work towards. Those receivers on the outside are top-end NFL-type guys, but on the lines of scrimmage, like you were saying, and how this all was brought up when you said the name, you know, Bo Davis, it feels like a Bo Davis-type class. Like, that guy is a guy that's been in, he was at Texas under Mac initially, but then been in the SEC and that he'd just been able to recruit those type of athletes. And you talk about changes on the staff across the board. It's like you could sort of tell that Bo Davis sort of seems like uh, the poster child for what this type of class, when you just in your mind think of where Texas is going, like Sark's the face of it, but then you hear, you know, the rant and he becomes a cult figure, but he's also that type of guy that if you look at the players that have been around him, even D lineman, it's, speed even though they're in those girthy huge bodies so yeah it's exactly he just sort of seems like uh the embodiment of a former type player in the mentality that you would want on sark staff yeah kyle flood too right kyle yep, flood exactly. wants he wants his cake and eat it too at texas you can have that usually when you're re- recruiting big gargantuan human beings it's really tough for those guys to move around and for you to run a lot of those zone concepts for those guys mm-hmm. to get to the second level. But rare athletes, right, <laughs> rare athletes like Kelvin Banks and like a Cam Williams, mm-hmm. those are the kind of guys who are, yeah, they're big enough where they project as potential tackles at the NFL level, but also those are guys who are, you know, they're athletic enough that they can – Run some of those zone concepts, you know, run some of those concepts where they can get guys to the second level. Uh, that's I, what Kyle Flood wants. And you can get that. You have access to that at Alabama. Yes. You don't have access to that at, at, at uh, most institutions, most programs. But at Texas, you actually do. And now thanks to the Pancake Factory, shout outs, and uh, the, the, right, the Clockfield Collective, all that, that you actually do, especially in the name, image, and likeness world, now you have access to those recruits. 
and now you have a and for a, for a while, just for a little while, I think you do have an advantage in the recruiting department. But don't I mean don't mistake it. In about I don't know six months, every major program across the country will have their own pancake factory. Oh yeah, and you won't. It's, it's just it's just. I think only only this advantage is only going to last for this one recruiting cycle. Yeah, it's smart to get out in front yeah. of it. Texas has their donors are quite involved and quite organized, and yeah. that's something that you definitely wanted. And whenever you know the writing was on the wall for say a situation like banks in Oregon, because when you think of like Oregon now, it's a little bit different. But if you think of Oregon over the past de- decade and the type of old lineman that you would want, it'd be a guy like a Banks. You're overly athletic but they have good run schemes and that's the type of guy that whenever his situation's up in there for Texas to be able to land one of those type of guys it's exactly what you want yeah everybody that I've talked to who's who I trust in recruiting Mike Roach is of the world of course uh, you know Jeff House still dabbles in it too but um, you know Jerry Hamilton another mm-hmm. guy I trust in the recruiting world I mean they they've told me that Kelvin Banks is one of those guys that should be giving you starting reps right away yeah, he's not coming Prototype. in as a, he's not going to be an early enrollee, unfortunately. So, I mean, I, it would help if he was an early enrollee. By the way, the early enrollees out of this class will be uh, Malik Murphy, Terrence Brooks, B.J. Allen, Jaden Blue, uh, Justice Finkley, uh, Jalen Gilbo, Jure Bledsoe, Aaron Bryant, Cole Hudson, and uh, uh, is it Bryce? Xavier Bryce? Xavier, I believe. Yeah. Um, he's also going to be an early enrollee. So. You don't get Kelvin Banks an early enrollee, even without him unrolling early. I mean, when you look at when you're gonna be looking at your best five to seven offensive linemen, he's gonna be considered one of your five to seven best offensive linemen, even without being an early enrollee. And he may be your starting left tackle from week one. That, that that's a possibility. That reminds me of just the discussion we haven't heard of really linemen like that landing at Texas since like I remember. Blaylock, he played, it seemed like, his entire career. He showed okay. up and was yeah. that good of a lineman. Exactly. Uh, a different type rare. of player. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. to have lineman. somebody like that, like, that's just Because you mean you got a grown man body and you have <laughs> – Already. Work, already, and your technique is to the point where – it's not a detriment to you at, at, at that high level, right, at the and, next high level. And then the idea that if you have that grown man body, and I say that with air quotes for the radio listeners, it's like think what that grows into. That's the person that exactly. has exponential he's a, growth. He's a teenager. Yeah, from the time that he goes from being, you know, an enrollee or his freshman year to the time he's a junior, like that kid's still going to be growing Strength and conditioning. It's absurd. Put him on an act. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say his diet right now is trash or anything like no. that, but he, they're going to have him on a more strict regimen and a diet that is going to help him flourish as an athlete nutritionist, all that kind of stuff. You put him in that kind of program, I'm with you. On that type of yeah. curve, and if you look yeah, at, yeah, like, yeah. range of outcomes, he's the type exactly. of guy that yeah. can have the most – even though he comes in probably with a higher floor than anybody, he can also have more growth, which makes his ceiling just astronomical. Totally agree. Yeah. That's why, I mean, they, he's one of those guys that's supposed to be – I'm going to say walk-in starter, but he should be giving you starting reps early on his Immediate true depth. freshman year. Uh, he's going to be one of your best six to seven offensive linemen. There's no question walking in just based on what we've seen from this offensive line and what they're returning. Remember, um, I mean, you don't really have a lot of depth right now on the offensive line. I believe if you end up going too deep, you're going to end up kind of di- diving into the the walk on mm-hmm. like your walk on offensive lineman. Because you of have a shell right now, right now of guys, and that's why we without the, without the class. 
uh, you know, without them accounting for. You don't have a good starting crew. If you were to just assemble it on paper and look at it, and it's like, but when you add a freshman and you can put a freshman at the top of the list, and then it can put that guy that maybe is a little overmatched as a true starter or being like your premier spot on the line to now being a guy that can provide some type of depth at that position, it's exactly where you want to be if you're Texas. Yeah. No, 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 it is. It's um. So I, I, I think the if you start looking at the guys that can contribute right away, Kelvin Banks is definitely in discussion, honestly. And I know we don't we're talking about the offensive line, defensive line, and I think that is the identity of this recruiting class, if you will. That's the highlight. But if you look at the top four highest rated players in the class, mm-hmm. two of them are DBs. Yeah, and um, one flip from Ohio State, and which one is flip crazy. from Ohio State, Terrence Brooks. Who I found out is is the son of Chet Brooks. Also, oh, a little legacy. Aggie. He was an Aggie. He actually came up with the Wrecking Crew hand sign. That's what I've been told. He now is a DB coach, not not at a school or anything, but like individual DB DB coach and trainer. Uh, and uh, honer of skills. Yes, there you go. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure his pet pr- passion project has been his son. <laughs> of course, uh, you know since, he's probably been maniacally teaching him techniques since he was a toddler. Exactly. Uh, he, yeah, he actually he's, he's the he's da da db whisperer. Ah, that is actually that's awesome. Uh, I see it right here when you Google DB just Google skills. right now Chet Brooks and the first thing will pop up is his yeah. Twitter handle and it's the right DB there. Whisperer, right? That's yeah, an so, awesome handle. So apparently he was you know a, a great Aggie at one time in the Wrecking Crew. I'm talking about when the Wrecking Crew played was the, the Super Bowl for crew. the 49ers back in the played day. in the league for a little while too. As well, not a little while. Played in the league was a, a, a probably a good player in the league. I haven't done much research, but my point is this young man Terrence Brooks, who is a Rated as a top 10 cornerback nationally, flipped from Ohio State, which is pretty damn big to have a flip like that at the last minute. But from what I've been told, and I haven't watched, I want to watch, I don't like watching highlights. Yeah. I watch a game of a player. So I'm, I'm trying to get my hands on some game film of the young man, but I've been told he can, he can start. Texas I mean, right away. That's awesome. I've been told that he and he can play safety or corner or nickel. That's it. It sounds like uh, exactly the prototype that you need these days. Like what you see Adrian Phillips doing for the Patriots and can play literally every spot in the DB field. That's crazy. Yeah, you remember that's what one of the things that Dwayne Aquino loved about uh, Adrian Phillips at the time. He said that he was one of the only. He said he was the only DB at that time that had played every position in the secondary. Yeah. Every single one. I'm talking about right corner, left corner, nickel, dime. And it was like, man, that's crazy. And now you look at it, and it's not so crazy. Because no. I remember saying that at the time. I was like, man, that's pretty wild. That's probably why Belichick loves him and why he's lasted so long in the league as an undrafted free agent. But Terrence Brooks um, can do that. I mean, he has that type of versatility. And he's a technician. Makes sense because his dad is a personal DB coach. So his technique is it's not flawless, but it is pretty high level for a freshman. And I've been told he's 17. Oh, he's like KD. KD was 17. There's different groups, and it makes sense. His dad being a 49er, being I know kids from California start school a year earlier. A lot of the time, I'm not sure where oh, he grew up, point. but yeah. like I have some friends that grew up there. But like KD enrolled at Texas and was 17 until like September what 27th for a full month at Texas. He wasn't even 18 yet. So there's sometimes you get those type of kids Sweet, where they have man. a ton of growth. And when I googled Chet Brooks, he started Super Bowl 20, the 55-10. Okay. 
against uh, whenever the biggest blowout in Super Bowl history, that 49ers over Broncos 55-10 back when I was a little toddler in 89, but he started that Super Bowl. So, yeah, he was a good player. So, it's yeah, I mean, to me, you start looking at it, that's a guy, and he's second highest rated player in the class, so it's not some, you know, asinine thing. I'm not jumping out on some limb saying this. I mean, he is rated as a really, really good player. He Both those guys should be considered to be giving you starting reps in some capacity in their true freshman year. Yeah, and we've seen guys like that from Ohio State just being that he was committed there. I just know over the past decade of following Ohio State and them coming to Texas and getting a lot of DBs over time, they've had constant contributors that come play as freshmen and leave early to the NFL. That's yeah, exactly. That's what Ohio State does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly what they do. So that was a hell of a flip. I mean, that was a really, really impressive flip. Uh, also, I've been told that if you start looking at someone else uh, someone else who could play early, um, I believe I was told that Jamon Tapp and Justice Finkley are two other guys that can contribute early on the defensive line. But Justice Finkley, impressively to me, is um, I mean, he's from Alabama. And Jeff Howe talked about this. He's from Alabama, and Alabama offered him. And he said, "No, that's awesome." And he 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 rather he went to Texas. Like that is a that's a hell of a, a get right there. And then you also miss, mentioned Tap, and Tap's the type of guy. He's from Louisiana, he's from Louisiana. and he was also offered yeah. by Alabama. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so you, you're winning <laughs> you're winning recruiting uh, recruiting battles with Bama in the state of Alabama. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I'd have to look back into it, but I wouldn't be surprised. That, you know how, like, you not only have position recruiters, but then you have regional recruiters. You know, yeah. like some coaches are East Texas, some coaches do Houston, some do Dallas. Wouldn't be surprised if Sark had a region that happened to overlap when he was at Alabama, and some of these kids he formed relationships with, oh, yeah. and that's that. the same yeah, yeah. way no that doubt. landing those. Louisiana and Alabama kids. I mean, it'd be nice to constantly do that, but it's a good way to also totally keep agree. those relationships because that's the one thing he's preached about. And, like, I remember we talked about it when he was hired and was like, well, I don't know about the hire. And you really, it's hard to really uh, be able to get a true depiction of a person when you see their opening interview because it's just the coach up there saying all the yeah. things you want to hear. But we sort of looked at him and was like, I, I got a feeling he's quite transparent and honest and really does like these relationships. And to a fault, like in, in some situations, coaches can be that way and then it's not actually the truth. But oddly, like I sort of feel like that may be truthful because a lot of the times you can't take those things. You take them with a grain of salt when you watch a coach on an opening press conference. Yeah. But if there's anything that we can look at and see – it seems like that relationship forming really does matter, and we've seen that with this class with situations like yours and some of these other kids that he maybe had formed those relationships and kept them. Yeah, it's still early, but I would agree uh, Sark's, what's the word for his demeanor. disposition? Yeah. Yeah, and demeanor, it seems pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's still early. Just been one you know, Person, year, That's basically. a personal trade, but not a does, football quality. Yeah, just, well, because Tom Herman at times, you know, he, sometimes he was, you know, jovial and yeah. outgoing, and sometimes he, you know, did was kind of standoffish. Brash. And it's, yeah, sometimes he was brash, and it's, it was just, he was erratic in yes. his personality. He wasn't consistent. And I say nothing wrong with that. I'm pretty erratic in my For <laughs> personality. Sure. But as a coach, you like consistency mm-hmm. in their demeanor discussion. Yeah. That's why people praise Dave Aranda because he's just like a Buddha. Yeah. He's always he's just same 
kind of the same disposition no matter what. Every now and Where, then. He was, why, right, Kerman's roommate, too, yeah. in college, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> it's a great point. I forgot all about that. Talking about the tentacles. Uh, <laughs> they they um, were no, sort of like a battery of yeah, one. When Brian day. Kelly uh, did his reinvention uh, up there at Notre Dame and got, you know, brought in outside counsel and advisors, one of the things they told him was like, man, you're too erratic. You're too all over the place. Like, yeah. you, you're, you're, your players don't know which co- Coach Kelly they're going to get. And it, it's important for them to know what coach they're going to get. So Reminded me of Mac at the end. Yeah, Mac was like that at the end. At the end, not at the beginning. Not at the beginning. No. The Mac that I uh, played for and was recruited by, he was a consistent oh, Mac. Oh, for sure. He really was, man. He was Post-2010 Mac? Yeah. He, like I said, he was like going from JFK to Tricky Dick. Yeah. I mean, he was paranoid. He was up and, and down. Freaky, and yeah. He was standoffish sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes he was really high. Sometimes he was really low. But uh, Mac with those, those recruited that I that was recruited by, um, he really he he was consistent. He was optimistic. He was all to the point where he annoyed the media because he was mm-hmm. so optimistic. And he was he he always took the blame. He was willing to take the blame for everything. Yeah, meat shield. Yeah, yeah. But then later on, we all saw that change a little bit. Anyway, uh, but getting back to it, I think those are kind of the highlights of that recruiting class. And it is it's not done yet either. They say that they could still try to close on a couple of other targets. We know Denver Harris uh, is – is he officially signs Levington? With I, do n- I need to look Aggies. into that. I know he still might be out there, but I know he's leaning Aggie. And that's uh, what's so crazy about this situation, the way yeah. how much recruiting's changed in the last five years because you didn't even have this early signing period to the actual signing day, and now you have basically like two – signing days and you can just start it open and go so yeah. now you who knows what can happen between now and the 15th but some kids if you want to can just go and ride it over get it in before because it makes sense considering that next semester especially if you're an early enrollee but it leaves that door open that you can do a lot from december to february still no no you're right you, you can do a ton um but yeah i mean oh yeah he signed so it's done uh so he signed with the Aggies, and then Evan Stewart signed with the Aggies. So those are obviously those chips are off the board. But I think they're still kind of closing in on some other targets who have yet to make their decision because this was the first, the early signing period, I should say. All right. Uh, I think anything else on recruiting that you want to hit? Uh, I think we put a good synopsis on it. Okay. You good about that? Okay. All right. Let's get to the the coaching. Well, Quinn Ewers, but we had a ton of Quinn Ewers talk. We did. Um I will say this about the Quinn Ewers thing, because um, we gotta get to the Kate, because Casey Thompson transfer, I guess, leads right into it. So I guess that's perfect segue. That's, yeah, that's one, and we can just kind of get one from the other. I I believe that it's I believe Sark wants to have a quarterback competition, but the truth is, when you bring in a quarterback of that ilk, who is mm-hmm. one of the highest rated prospects at the position in the history of modern recruiting, <laughs> other than VY, like Ewers, which is so cool, and VY was like that too, right? <laughs> uh, Chris Sims was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the the writing is on the wall, and even though there is going to be a competition, because I think that you have to do that for the sake of the culture, the coach always reserves the right to call the competition, which, by the way, going back to Mac, like I said, study history because it's the best kind of predictor of future events because, you know, looking at human behavior mm-hmm. uh, in certain situations, Mac Brown, when he brought in a big-time quarterback, a Chris Sims, Yes, there was a competition, but he called it. Yeah. Called it for Zims. Did he make the right decision? 
But you know what? That's we can talk about that for another hour and a half. But I'm just telling you what coaches do, right? Yeah. That's what they usually going to call it on the, on behalf of the quarterback with the higher ceiling. Vy came in, him and Chance Mock quarterback competition, mm-hmm. and you know what? Chance Mock was holding his own. It wasn't bad. Yeah. Matt called it. Or you know what? I'm going with the quarterback with the higher ceiling. He's mm-hmm. called it for the the quarterback with the higher ceiling. The one time Mac didn't was Colt McCoy because Jevin mm-hmm. Steele was a five star coming in, big arm, NFL prototype, and Mac said. First of all, Colt was more impressive, Max said. He said he threw more touchdowns and had less interceptions than Jamie Steed in training camp. But also the players on the team came to Mac and told him, it's Colt. Yeah. Colt's the guy. And then Mac said, okay, between him playing better and the players telling me it's Colt, I got to go with Colt. Yeah. So that was the one time he actually deviated from calling the competition on behalf of the of the guy. And yep. then when Garrett Gilbert came in, Garrett Gilbert was considered the guy. Yep. So usually coaches call it for the quarterback with the higher ceiling. And I got a feeling Sark was going to do the same here. Yeah, and I think most, Casey understands that too. Because most of the time when we're talking about ceiling, it's going to come be summed down into the tangibles that you can actually go and quantify and see. And so the top end guy with just those few tangibles, those tools mm-hmm. become that guy. Yep. But the unquantifiable aspect that you have that was the volatility in the situation that you saw with Colt actually is whenever possibly those untangibles that also are involved in finding a ceiling, you just don't see them quantified. So like if you, unless you're there every day, which Fans aren't, and all of us aren't. Exactly. So that's where, when the teammates are there, they're able to talk and communicate this. They're seeing it play out every day, but it's not necessarily by the measurables that you can see on paper because anybody can sort of sum it down and be like, well, this guy's top end ceiling's higher. It's like, but we know that's not all exactly. part of the cocktail. And when you add in one other ingredient mm-hmm. that makes you be something that's special, if it is on that untangible side, that's when it can be believed to be unforeseen, yet it can be obvious to those in the know in that situation. So we'll see how it plays out. Most likely, it's like if you get the guy with the most talent, 99 out of maybe 100 or maybe just 9 out of 10, they're going to normally cream rise to the top. Mm -hmm. But when you have that one guy that's somehow still kicking it around in the NFL and winning, I mean, Cole went 2-1 and and they could have went 3-0 and with him if a game plan had been a little bit different earlier. And it's amazing watching him and watching Colt. Like, Colt's going to be a backup for another five years. He's going to be oh, like easily. a 40-year-old guy, like, uh, yeah. sitting around making a lot of money and making sure that teams don't feel bad about their quarterback situation because you always have that to fall back on. Yeah. So it's fun to watch him still. And with Texas quarterbacks, it's really odd that Texas has had no success really at the quarterback's position since Colt, yet uh, you look across – Call or the NFL and backup quarterbacks are littered with former Texas quarterbacks. Yeah, Garrett Gilbert still makes he's gonna start tomorrow night as a backup quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Shane Bouchel, <laughs> and then you got Shane yeah Bouchel Ellinger yeah. backing up it, and then you end up having Colt. So it's pretty wild. No, I'm with you. And yet, you know, out of the twenty, I guess twenty three quarterbacks now, twenty four if you include Matthew Merrick, the twenty three quarterbacks you've signed now since. 2006, mm-hmm. still only Sam Ellinger is your multi-year starter. What you're hoping to get from the Quinn Ewers recruitment and development is a multi-year starter and mm-hmm. quarterback. That, like I said, that is a rarity for Texas, and they haven't really had that. I mean, Sam Ellinger was the one they've had in the last 15 years. Since so. Colt. Since Colt. And that's that's the consistency you want. Then that allows you to develop quarterbacks behind them. But mm-hmm. in this day and age, I would say that's not anything to be critical of a program about. 
um, because quarterback turnover, it just exists everywhere now with the transfer. I mean, you see how many quarterbacks? Bo Nix recently transferred. Yep. Is he, where is he now? Uh, uh, I Oregon? didn't see where he landed. I haven't uh, been following all the portals. Yeah, I can pull I up my it's, portal it's sheet. Hard, it's hard to do. Keaton Slovis, Dylan Gabriel, I mean, Max Johnson, Miles Brent. I mean, it's just Adrian Martinez is now at K-State. It's just... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It, 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 Zach Kelzada hit the transfer report. They got yep. beat Bama. And, you know, so it's just, I don't think you can avoid that. All you can do is what Sark is doing, which is just stockpile that room with as much talent as you can and deal with the consequences later, which is one of those guys is going to transfer, maybe two of those guys. And by the way, Hudson Card probably, in my opinion, he, he's probably going to transfer at 1.2. Yeah, for sure, or not for sure, but it's I he, it's, he fits that profile to have because he's got he's got an opportunity elsewhere. There are other a lot coaches that had him highly regarded yeah. as a quarterback, and they would consider him an upgrade over their situation. Exactly, yeah, walk in started elsewhere. Same thing with Casey Thompson. I remember texting texting y'all about Dylan Gabriel because I was jacked up. I was like, oh man, this kid, he's top of the line. He could end up somewhere like that. And then yeah. it's like, oh yeah, Quinn Ewers would take that too. And Sark <laughs> said that he you know, it was Quinn's my man, Chip Brown. Um, who I trust, Sark said that he wants to bring in another veteran quarterback via the transfer portal, and I think that's because he anticipates another quarterback could leave like Hudson Card. So, yeah, just keep stockpiling the room with talent. That's what the transfer portal is for. I uh, like that he brought in basically two quarterbacks in his class when you count, mm-hmm. count Quinn Ewers in the transfer portal and Malik Murphy. I think that's going to become more and more commonplace, just bringing in two quarterbacks in a recruiting class. It used to be something you only did once every three cycles, but I think now you can see teams doing it once every two cycles. You get your high school kid and your portal kid. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. it's a smart way to do it, and it can also foster that competition that you talk about, and it can always keep keep you have to have depth, but also the type of culture that you want to build. Yeah, yeah well, just because you got to stay out of quarterback hell, the only way to do it is just keep stockpiling quarterbacks. Because now you're seeing starting quarterbacks leaving. Yeah, like it Dylan used to be Gabriel. Like, it used to be the quarterback who wasn't starting was leaving. Now you guys have quarterbacks who are starting. You're like, nah, don't I don't like it. Go. Zach Hill's out of start. Nope, started 10 games. I'm out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it, y'all didn't choose Bo me. Nicks. It took Hayes King getting hurt. Yeah, so I just think that's Bo Nicks almost beat Bama, and then, like, yeah. Right? Yeah, the situation across the board. It's weird, man. Well, it's just not weird. It's just the changing of, of, of the guard. It's Dylan like Gabriel went landscape. to UCLA. Chip Kelly got him. Oh, there you go. There yeah. you go. See? It's just uh, it's a new world. All right. Well, speaking of a new world, um, also the coaching carousel is a new world. So because of the coaching carousel, it's also affected Texas. Stan Drayton took the head coaching job uh, at Temple. He does have a background there in that area. He was at UPenn for a while. Also was at Villanova, I believe, for a little while. Arthur Johnson, who used to be one of the assistant mm-hmm. athletic directors here at Texas, he was here forever. He was there when I was playing. So Arthur was there forever and kind of a jack-of-all-trades, renaissance man, did a lot of different things at Texas, finally decided to leave because I'm sure he had job offers before that. I saw him right before he left, right when he got the job. I saw him at a game um, at, down there on the 40 acres and talked to him for a little while, had the sense that he was uh, had something cooking. <laughs> uh, but he wouldn't let me know what it was. Turns out he was going to poach Stan Drayton from Texas as his head football coach. So congrats <laughs> to Stan Drayton. Makes sense. Yeah, uh, and congrats to Arthur. He got his guy. I think Arthur uh, Johnson really wanted that, and he's the athletic director now at Temple, so that's the connection. So now Texas needed, or see, they did need a running backs coach, and they hired one. The short choice yes, was their choice, uh, no pun intended. Had six, what, six, seven years he played in the league, played mm-hmm. for the Cowboys. Probably most, uh, uh, probably the most recognizable uh, time that he had in the league was his time with the Cowboys, at least in this neck of the woods. Went to the Bills. 
Went to the he went to the Bills for a little while, and he also interned with the Cowboys as a as a. I think he was a GA or not GA. Twenty sixteen, he hopped on to start his coaching yeah, career. Exactly, exactly. He was like um, I'm sure an analyst or whatever there. He was there for one year, I believe. Then went down to the college level and has been at stops North Texas, Georgia Tech. Uh, was at USC. They take the job at USC, I believe. Briefly, it reminded me of Briefly. Manny Diaz's time at Temple. Yeah. And how and quick he took the job for a couple of weeks, and then Miami wanted him, and Tashard took the job on the new staff with yeah. over there with Lincoln and then quickly turned around. And that that's where the OU intersection, you and I were talking about this on the way in. I had not really paid attention, but the way at the time, I did not realize, like, you know, at Texas, you had Cedric Benson was a guy as a freshman highly touted and I couldn't I was like man was it Ivan Williams oh, it was Victor Ike maybe Victor I couldn't Ike. even remember Icky who Ike. was technically the starter before <laughs> Benson took over and had his tenure for four years at Texas and to chart choice was that guy to Adrian Peterson and I hadn't mm. realized that in 03 that he was actually at, behind Kiwan Jones and works and then he was named the starter in 04 for Oklahoma out of spring practice but pulled his hamstring, which allowed AD to get ahead of him as the true freshman. He smartly saw the writing on the wall and transferred, which at the time was quite rare for a player, especially if you were going to be a top-end type running back, transferred out to Georgia Tech. And like I remembered him at Georgia Tech and seeing the talent, and Cowboy fans remember choice. But it was a bit surprising to me at the time that he had been right in front of us without ever truly noticing. Wow, that's a nice little nugget there. That's a nice little factoid. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. Uh, yeah, it's crazy how I mean, you can con- like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. You can almost get into a lot of that stuff with a lot of these football uh, stories and a lot of these headlines. Like recently. We, we remember the, the Reggie Ball to Calvin Johnson aspect, but it was Tashard Choice was the running back back then. That is that is nuts. So I, I really so I didn't know that, and you know now with Tashard Choice. Um, now that running back coach at Texas, I think because he's from Georgia originally, yep. correct? Yep. And people don't give Georgia enough props, the state of Georgia, for producing NFL players. Mm-hmm. But man, I went and looked at it. Georgia is top three the <laughs> last four years in NFL producing NFL players per capita. Yeah, per capita, them in Louisiana it's, always are battling it out. It's yeah, it's unbelievable how much talent is there. And we know Sark has, and I think it was smart because uh, we've been talking about it here on Longhorn Blitz for a while. He, he intentionally wanted a a a presence in Louisiana, a bigger presence in Louisiana. That's part of what uh, has made Brandon Harris such a valuable contributor to the to the Longhorn staff. He's given them some life, uh, really some juice, if you will, in Louisiana, the state. Uh, Louisiana, as you t- you said, always top three per capita in terms of producing NFL talent. Georgia also in that category, and I think to short choice could have a similar type of effect for Texas in the state of Georgia. And I think maybe Sark is thinking along those lines. Yeah. He should be. And that, I mean, that's there, and especially if we're talking about even before the idea to move to the SEC, but you want to have a presence in the line of the scrimmage, and where do you have that? Well, across this belt of the South is produced per capita, those players time in and time out. Now, Louisiana is even just as fertile, and it's even closer to home, so it's so important to have. But if your tentacles are reaching out there, they should just keep on going all the way down I-10, 
all the way basically to Florida. You know, you don't want to leave anything left, especially since your staff and your guys, and if it's anybody from Sark to, say, Bo Davis, I mean, before Bo came to Texas the first time, it was he had his roots over there in the mm-hmm. SEC. And you have these coaches that have been in the SEC for that long, so you need to just keep those type of relationships with those high school coaches because you hear about it here in Texas and like how much it means to have that connectivity that you can just call yep. up a high school coach or that high school coach can be watching a game and mm-hmm. be like, oh, Coach Sark, he knows how to coach ball. Just those little simple things yep. that are happening. And if you keep that fresh in the minds of those coaches, not only in Texas but across the South, it really can help with recruits and those relationships. Yeah, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's more than just football. <laughs> that's life advice. Um, but, yeah, I like the hire for the short choice. I mean, because I, I think I understand that it's – about recruiting uh, more so than about development and not saying that he's not a great developer of talent. But I think oftentimes the running back position, uh, the coach who's coaching the running back position, it is one of those positions where they prioritize recruiting mm-hmm. more so than development. And I think this is one of those, one of those situations where I, he is probably a dynamite recruiter, and that's why they're bringing in. I probably he is a dynamite recruiter, and I think that's why they're bringing him in. Mm-hmm. And They're aspiring to be Bucky Godbolts. Uh, Bucky Godbolts. I mean, I'm not saying Bucky couldn't develop talent, but I mean, he'll tell you he was there to go recruit. Yeah, like, that's you brought in Ricky was. Williams. You did your job. That yes. guy. <laughs> don't matter. You brought in Ricky. I'm running back. You could build was a career loaded. off it. P- Priest Holmes, Ricky Williams, Sean Mitchell. Sean Mitchell. That running back room was hey, Wayne, Wayne McGarry moved. Moved him out to wide receiver. So Bucky, he was on the Cowboys. Damn, yeah, he did his damn job. He did the damn thing. Uh, somebody who I guess did not do their job is Andre Coleman because he is out with the Longhorns. You guys know I was pretty critical of Andre Coleman uh, when Tom Herman hired him because I thought Tom Herman probably could have upgraded elsewhere. Um, remember, my big complaint was wide receivers couldn't get off press coverage in mm-hmm. 2020 uh, when Sam Ellinger targeted a wide receiver in press coverage. Um, he had a 27% completion percentage and averaged three yards per attempt. I'm not making that. That was in twenty in twenty twenty. Those seem like numbers that wouldn't be possible. Uh, yeah, that's, that's how, how bad, bad they, they were are. against press coverage. Arguably, it could be as worse. I would. I'd, it'd, I I'd be hard stop pressing them. To I find stop pressing them. Yeah, like literally, I would bet if you did the research across all hundred thirty teams yeah. in D one, that would be about near the bottom. Yeah. So in terms of talent development, we knew that Andre Coleman, or at least my, in my opinion, Andre Coleman was underachieving in terms of being a talent developer. But also now as a recruiter, I think. I think the, at least Sark believes, in my opinion, that he is also underachieving there because you did have a stellar recruiting class of wide receivers. Evan Stewart, who was now signed with the Aggies, was mm-hmm. considered the number one wide receiver in the country. Uh, you also lost one to uh, Armani Winfield. Yep. He right? ended up going to Baylor, Baylor. And he was at one point committed to Texas. Um, so I think, yeah, I, mean, I think that was some disappointment there at the wide receiver. And I will say that, Sark came in and Sark said, remember, he said this. He said he wanted to hire Andre Coleman before he got here. So, remember, Sark said that. Yeah. And so, Sark, like I said, I, and I was critical of Sark when he kept him. I was like, Sark, you probably shouldn't have kept that guy. You probably should have went out and got yourself a better wide receiver coach. And Sark said, no, I wanted him before I even got to Texas. So, I was very happy when I got here and Andre Coleman was here. And I was like, really? Okay, Sark. So, I think Sark now realizes the era of 
that yeah. statement and that evaluation when he got here. And not necessarily proactive. And good for him, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Good for not being stubborn. Good for you, sir. After one year to be able yeah. to make that change, and it probably maybe took one of whenever Sark's one guy that showed up and ran laps around the whole receiver room immediately. Like when you see that with a guy like Worthy Sark, yeah. I mean, guy like, he brought in. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then he can be that light years ahead of everybody else that's there. You can sort of see in that situation, Shark could be like, oh, I think we can go find somebody that's going to be able to fit what we do and identify these things that work well with me. And I've been told by Mike Roach that it is a, a really stellar class of wide receivers in 2023. And if he's not a, you know, if he's not a dynamite recruiter, uh, you don't want to miss out on back-to-back classes. Because he's not a technician right yeah. now from uh, just what you see. Exactly, recruiting <laughs> the receiver position. And we know Sark in terms, Sark works really close with the wide receivers, too, because mm-hmm. like, his break-to-daylight philosophy, and he's really, really uh, detailed about how he wants the routes ran, and he wants movement routes from the wide receivers. So I believe he's probably been working really close with Andre Coleman. Yeah. He worked really closely with the coach, and you find that, oh, yeah. this guy it's actually, like you don't want to be doing your job. You don't want to be, say, the <laughs> DB coach for, say, Ben or Belichick because you have Belichick going over and doing that. And it's that situation when those guys, it's the honing of their skill. It's yeah. like the offensive version, Sark and his wide receiver. I mean, Tom Herman did the same thing. They just obviously had different visions for the type of receivers that fit for them. Um, for, so for three straight years, I have suggested that the coaches hire Brennan Marion. Mm-hmm. I remember that who, name from you. You brought yeah. that name up for the first time. I had never heard of the dude. Oh, man, I— for three, I wanted Tom Herman to hire him in 2020. When Sark first came here, I wanted mm. Sark to hire him. And now that Sark's got another opening, I want, he's the wide receiver coach at Pitt. For You've seen what know. they've done this year. Exactly. And before, they only made one addition to the staff, and it was him. And now everybody's saying Pickett could be a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And they they got a Jordan, I think Jordan Addison is yeah, name, the wide receiver that won. Taysir Mack was really good, and then Taysir Mack goes down, and he was the lead guy. And Addison's able to win the Bolitnikoff, and then you have – even other guys on that team doing a good job. Yeah, I, I, Jared I'm not Lane. saying it's all him, but I uh, he's a hell of a coach, and he also is famous for what they call the go-go offense. I, I put up a tweet, uh, which is still up there, at Rod Babers, uh, that I actually suggested they hire him when Sam Drayton got the Temple job as the running backs coach. He's, he's coached running backs and wide receivers, but he, he his go-go offense is a two-back offense that he perfected when he was at, I think he was at uh, William & Mary, Mm-hmm. And at Howard before that, and he perfected this go, which is a two back offense. And he claims he can run any run play in the history that's been ever been run in the history of football out of this two back set. Texas' most talented position and their strongest position right now is running back because you got a embarrassment of riches there with Bijan and Rojo and now Jonathan Brooks and you know obviously Keelan Robinson throw him in the mix. You yep. got Jaden Blues coming in. You need to learn how to weaponize those guys more. He would help you do that. Because he could bring that go-go system in with him. Also a guy that can he can develop talent a little bit, especially at wide receiver. He's shown that. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming he's a dynamic recruiter. I don't know that. But I think he's worth bringing in just for the offense alone. But there are other uh, candidates out there, too, that are really good candidates. But that's my suggestion is Brendan Marion. I've been suggesting it for three years. It's gaining a little steam. I hear he is being considered. That he is actually being considered, so maybe they're listening to Rod B, or maybe um, he's just now at a meteoric rise is starting to get some attention. You sort of wish that they would have listened sooner, but it's also good to identify the people once they've became, yeah. you know, top 
guys in the himself. country. Yeah. And if you look at what uh, Pittsburgh did this year with Alvana Conda, Vincent Davis, and Robbie Hammond Jr., they combined to have, I believe it was 52 receptions out of the backfield, which is one of those numbers that you really want, like you had always talked about oh, yeah. being a 30-plus. If you can get to 40-type guy, that's really high level for a receiving backfield, and he's been able to get 50-plus out of some guys there at Pitt. Well, he's a wide receiver coach. Yeah, yeah, but to be able to weaponize running yeah, no, no. backs. So I don't, and I gotta watch them more because I don't know how. But I the two running back sets. Yeah, so I don't you, know how much they've been running to, through the daily fantasy. I only know that I've targeted yeah. pit running backs because nice. they catch the ball out of the backfield well a lot. Man, yeah, I love that. So that's good. Your fantasy knowledge, fantasy knowledge, always comes into play. It's worthless knowledge <laughs> no, that actually. It's not at all. But it, it, Quite uh, my whole life it was worthless <laughs> knowledge, but it's, um, it's, it's but been added. The one concern is Mark Whipple, who I believe was the OC at Pitt. He left to take, I think he's at Nebraska now as the OC, I believe. Um, Mark Whipple's his name. They could decide at Pitt to just make Brendan Mary the OC. Yep. If they're smart, they would. Yeah, Nebraska OC Whipple. So they that I think could be a hang up. They may decide, nah, man, we're just gonna let you call plays. Yeah. And they do that. He's gonna take that job because he's 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 hopped around a lot. He doesn't stay at a place long because he wants to rise fast. He's trying to. That's why he would take the Texas job. I think if he was offered it, but if he's offered a coordinator job, play caller, he'll take that. Yeah, that's a level up. Yeah. So and Texas can't offer that. They can't because Sark's the play caller and Kyle Fluss the OC. So, uh, all right. I think we hit everything. Also, Jared Wiley also transferred. That was announced too that he's transferring. So that is um, now. And Cade Brewer, remember, exhausted his eligibility. So all your tight ends coming back. You got Jatavian Sanders, you got Gunnar Helm, you got Braden Lee Brock, mm-hmm. and what's the other one I'm missing? Uh, uh, Juan one Davis. More. Yes, thank you very much. Juan Davis. So you got four. And by the way, we all know those guys have not played very much at all. No. So you're going to start from <laughs> you're starting from scratch at the tight end position. Even more reason to run two back sets. It's how the season opened with the pass to Juan Davis. I was like, oh wow, this guy's going to be big. He's going to yeah. where'd he come from? And then never <laughs> no, saw him again. Yeah, never saw him again. Introducing the two way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. It's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Uh, all right. Hopefully uh, we will uh, see you guys or talk to you guys again before the holidays. We haven't really figured out what our holiday schedule is yet because all of us are going to be on separate schedules for holidays. So we will keep you abreast as soon as we figure out what we're going to do and what the Longhorn Blitz holiday schedule will be. Uh, but if we don't talk to you before the, uh, the holidays, uh, everybody out there, have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. We do love you guys. We appreciate you always spending time with us. I want to thank my man Matt Butler for all of his work. I want to thank the folks here at uh, at Austin Radio Network at ARN. I want to thank the good folks at 24-7 Sports. And, uh, folks, uh, I thank all the Longhorn fans as well. Can't forget that. Uh, All right, folks, remember, uh, we'll tell you about the next schedule of Longhorn Blitz, so stay tuned. My man Matt Buller uh, will get you on that, and I'll tweet out something too. My man Jeff Howell will tweet out something just to let everybody know. Uh, Love you guys. We mean that. Peace. Happy holidays. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.